Your call has been forwarded to an automatic voice message system. 7 1 5 2 1 2 3 4 4 9 is not available. At the tone, please record your message. When you have finished recording, you may hang up or press 1 for more options. The luxury of having something as simple as food that brings you comfort is one thing that shouldn't be taken for granted. I never really had comfort food, and honestly I didn't know what that word really meant in terms of what kind of comfort I brought. Food has always been food, and the feeling of comfort has always been rare and distant and out of reach for us. I didn't understand the subtleties of what it meant to have a meal together as a family, and what it meant to have comfort food until you were gone. One of my favorite dishes you made and not often was pho. The memories of coming home from school and the house would be full of steam from the broth cooking. The smell of the spices of cinnamon, star anise, cardamom, and coriander infused with the lightly charred onions and ginger intoxicates the air in the house, filling it with warmth, not only from the steam, but the feeling of what it means to enjoy this delicious noodle dish. The freshly chopped spring onions, bean sprouts, limes, parsley, and cilantro whisk through the air giving a refreshing crisp to the overwhelming rich taste and full feeling of the broth and noodles. Just like how I didn't understand the feeling I had while eating pho with you and the amount of warmth and comfort it gave me to enjoy a meal, I didn't understand that this was your way of showing me love. There were times where I was working late on my homework and was missing out on pho, but whenever you heard the door open and me walking up the stairs, you would always have the broth and rice noodles ready for me. By the time I was ready to eat, you had it on the table, just like how I liked mine, doused in all the chopped veggies, beef slices, no meatballs, sprinkled with fried garlic, and the broth to be blackened with hoisin, sweet soy sauce, and oyster sauce, with two slices of lime, a hint of fish sauce, no sriracha, but a dash of black pepper. This was your way of showing love, so even if I ate alone while everyone was going to bed, I still felt comfort by the warmth and love you showed me with this dish. Comfort food is only comforting when you're enjoying it with me. When you're the one who makes it, when you're the one who I ask to make pho. I thought that pho would be what brings me comfort when you died, but in fact it was the opposite. Pho was just a vessel for you to show your love to me. What actually made it comforting was the fact that you made it, and you enjoyed it with me. You were the warmth and comfort. Pho is no longer comforting. It is bland no matter how much of everything I put into it. The broth is ice cold even if it burns my tongue. The feeling of isolation is prominent even if I'm surrounded by ten or more people while eating pho. I still can't enjoy a pho without you, and I don't think I ever will. I tried recreating it the way you taught me, but it'll never be the pho that you made, because you made it out of love, from the purest form of love a mother can have and give to her children. Pho is now a bitter taste in my mouth, leaving regret and emptiness to fill me up instead. This was the first time I had realized that you were no longer with me, that despite all of the problems we've had, all the screaming, crying, and hate speech spewed out every day and night, I still loved you, even if I never said it. Looking back on it, I should have been thankful to have you. Thankful to have a mother who still loved her daughter no matter what kind of baseless hatred her daughter had for her. Thankful for a mother who made sure that her children were well-fed, well-kept, and groomed, and well-loved and cherished. But all of that dissolved into thin air as you died. Nothing could ever replace a mother's love was something I was told often by others. And just like everything in life, I understood a little too late. Too late to say sorry, too late to say I love you, too late to take back all the hateful things I've said despite you, and too late to hold you in my arms, and, and too late to fear losing you, and realize that there will be a day when you are no longer with me, and that that day would be sooner than I anticipated. Wherever you are, I hope that you can enjoy a bowl of pho that is able to give you as much comfort as you gave us. 
I hope that it will bring you good memories of the life that you left behind. I hope that fire doesn't become numbly cold and bland, surrounding you with isolation and emptiness inside like it does for me. I hope that you never forget the feeling of being loved, even if I couldn't say it to you. Because at one point in my life, I loved you. And as painfully as it is to admit it, I still do love you. I hope that one day I can enjoy a bowl of pho with you, where it becomes a comfort food again, because there was hardly a time or a moment that I could vividly remember as comforting. Life was either numb or full of agony, in both mind and soul. To an extent, it still is, and when I thought about comfort and what it was to me, I suddenly became disappointed that one of my favorite dishes that you made was bland. I realized how much I enjoyed the fud that you made and how much I wished we could have it every day. But now fud doesn't taste the same, no matter if it's exactly how you made it. I thought to myself, if my feelings of comfort and warmth came from the dish, then why isn't it the same now? It was nearing midnight on January 13th as I sat in the kitchen table by myself, playing with this bowl of noodles. It wasn't pho, it wasn't yours, it wasn't the same. That's when I realized that my comfort didn't come from the dish, it came from you. The love that you put into it making pho, even if it was exhausting. We hardly said that we loved each other. We hardly hugged. Hell, we hardly even sat together at the dinner table and ate our meals together. Our family was just a collective gathering of people who share the same blood under a two-story house. Despite all of that, your cooking and your food was your love language. Even if I sat alone and ate alone, which I often did and still do, as long as I knew that it was a bowl of pho that you made me, it felt like I had someone there next to me, enjoying the delicious noodles with me. Someone to share laughter and tears with, someone to hug and someone to love, someone to miss and long for. I felt like I had that someone, as long as I had you. I never told you any of that, and I should have. I never told you how much you meant to me, because at that time, I didn't know how much you meant to me. I didn't know until I lost you, and that was my fault for realizing it too late. I asked myself if I had realized how much you meant to me while you were still alive, would I have told you that I loved you? The answer, as painful as it may be, is no. No, I don't think I would have. I would have justified that you knew that I loved you, even if I never said it. But how could you, when all I ever did was say that I hated you and wanted you out of my life and wanted you dead? How could you have known that I never meant any of those spiteful words when I never apologized? How could you have felt comfort if all I've ever given you was disheartening sadness and pain? So how could I ever feel the same kind of comfort when you are not here with me? The kind of self-inflicted numbing agony is something that I will carry with me to my grave. I have accepted that it is the only thing that I can do. Accept the void in my life and heart and move on. Accept that you are gone and I can't bring you back. Accept that with life comes death. That time doesn't stop for anyone, not even for the weak, the strong, not for the suffering people around the world, or not for the people who have it all, and certainly not for me. So if I'm bound to be damned, then I should at least find comfort, wherever it may be. I should feel what it is like to be loved and to love someone. I should feel the warmth that you gave me and give that much-needed warmth to someone else. I should embrace someone and keep them near and dear to my heart. I should let my exhausted and extinguished self be embraced by someone else. I should sit with someone who brings me comfort as we enjoy a meal together, sharing tears or laughter, but at least we're together. I should do all those things once more, but this time I'll make sure that I tell them how much they mean to me before it's too late, before history repeats itself. To disconnect, press 1. To record your message, press 2. Goodbye. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode three of our podcast. 
Last episode, we talked about finding out the cause of death of our mother, and we re revisited her background story to get a better understanding of her and her suicide. In this episode, we'll be talking about a fresh start with our new life without our mother. So let's begin with us moving out of the old house and into the current house that me and my younger siblings live in. So with the fresh start, we first started with us all agreeing that we wanted to move out of our four-bedroom, two-bath, two-story house. Yeah, Dad always wanted this to be like his retirement house. Oh, yeah. So we started looking for like a ranch-style home, open concept, because that's what our father really wanted it to be like for his retirement home. We finally found one in early January, which was being built in this new subdivision. So ours was the first house. And when we finally went into it, it was it was unfinished, so we really got a rough idea of what it looks like. But yeah, how did you feel about it when we first saw the house? Because obviously we went to go look at finished houses to give a better understanding of what the house would look like. What were your initial reactions to it, John? It was nice. Um, really roomy. I don't know. It's just kind of a regular house, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I feel the, you know, the exact same way. It's just that... I guess it felt bittersweet because we know that, like, mom would have liked it, you know? Mom yeah. would have really liked having this big kitchen and, like, just bigger house where we can be, you know, free as kids and just get to play and have a big backyard where we all could play and, you know, have parties and stuff. It was definitely, like, a change of pace because it was, like, the new house is more modernized, kind of, and the old house was uh, a little more old-style, old-fashioned. So it was kind of a change of pace with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and and it really felt like everything just felt like a fresh start yeah. in terms of the new house, how it even looks, and how we felt. It was just like a fresh start without having mom there and trying to move past that life. And it was hard, especially with like the moving because we had so much stuff. And then we also decided that our two older half-brothers and our grandma would move back in with us after a decade of them not living with us anymore. Okay, so before we talk about the new house, let's talk about the old house. Me, personally, I have some memories I'm going to share. Well, my favorite memory was, honestly, the it's really simple. It's just us as a family spending time together outside. And, you know, all the, all the times that mom and dad were just grilling outside and us as kids just running around the backyard, playing with whatever we had. You know, those were the, the core memories that always stick with me. And then um, when we were outside, we would always catch grasshoppers and moths, and then we would put them in the grasshoppers in, like, a <laughs> rock castle. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, you know, th those were the ones that I really appreciated. And I feel like it's something that we kind of took for granted, kind of, but it's just, like, the kids nowadays are always on devices and sitting inside, you know, and I guess that that was my favorite memory, just playing outside, living life. Yeah, I mean, I definitely have some memories, but the grasshopper one just really made me laugh because I remember vividly doing that. Yeah. And I remember always being scared of the grasshoppers. Mm -hmm. So I would always make you catch them, and then I would always build the rock castles, and I would force you to put them in there because I was so afraid that they might jump out on me. And, yeah, I remember doing that i remember doing i remember us like having drag races with our bicycles yep. down the driveway and eating shit that was really fun but the two main ones that were really vivid for me 
was when Richard was a toddler and our neighbor's dog oh, yeah. was right behind him. And we were up on the porch and we were saying, Richard, Richard, there's, you know, a dog behind you. And he was like playing with a ball or something. And he was sitting down on the grass and he's like, no, there's not like, stop saying that. And he was just getting like really, really angry. And we kept like, you know, telling him, no, there's a dog behind him. And the dog was just like super like friendly and was, it was a golden retriever. Mm-hmm. And the dog was just sitting right behind him, just smiling and being super friendly. And, you know, we kept telling him. And then all of a sudden Richard turns around and he starts screaming. He's like, ah, there's a dog. There's a dog. He's going to bite me. And he runs up the stairs and the dog follows him. And it was like just super funny. And I think just having that as a memory was just really funny. And I don't know. We had a lot of great memories in there. And then the second memory that I have was actually about John and I, and this is also when Richard was a toddler, not a toddler, when Richard was an infant. So this is back in 2008. And we had this giant like TV shelf thing for our TV. Our TV was like a 50 inch, but it was like a box TV. It was supposed to be like a flat TV screen, but like it was like the older one. So like it still was a box and it was just a bigger screen like a box TV that had like a light bulb for a projector. So it required a, you know, that kind of thing. And our parents used to always hide candy, like on the upper shelves and we would crawl on the ledge where the TV shelf was in. So the TV was sitting there and there was about like, I would say two inches of ledge right there. And then on the top shelf, and I don't know why we never grabbed chairs, but we always just got up there and climbed onto it instead of just grabbing chairs and being smart about it. But we would always grab that ledge and grab onto the top shelf. And one day, John and I were doing that. And we, for some reason, it decided to tip the whole entire TV. And keep in mind, John and I were probably only like around... 50 pounds. Yeah, 50. And like six to seven years old. So yeah, six to seven or seven to eight. Mm-hmm. And we both grabbed onto it and it fell completely on us. And this is talking about like a thousand plus pounds onto us. And we thought we were dead, honestly. And our mom heard this giant crash and she came out cause she was calling somebody on the phone. And then she came out and she saw us and she just saw John and I walking, like trying to crawl away out of it. And like, we got crushed with, you know, the TV and the TV stands so like over a thousand pounds. And we were crawling out of it and we didn't cry at all. We weren't hurt. We didn't have any bruises or scratches, nothing. Like we came out there unscathed and it was a miracle. And I remember like our mom being so pissed off. And then she told our dad and our dad came home and then our uncles, our uncle and aunt came over and then our uncle helped my dad push the TV stand back up. But yeah, we thought that we were in really big trouble, but they're just, you know, worried about our safety and, more concerned about us than they were about the TV and the TV stand. But yeah, that was some of the most memorable moments. And also going back to what John was talking about earlier about just the memories of just playing outside and, you know, having fun. I remember like all the times we would play sports. So either that'd be like kicking a football around or kicking a soccer ball and playing, you know, either badminton or anything like that outside. And I remember one time when Gigi was born, we were playing soccer and we had uh, four trees that were kind of like soccer posts and goals that we kind of, because they were on each side of our, our backyard. They were on each side of our backyard. Yeah. Yep. 
and they were kind of like goals and I remember her we were kicking it and John kicks it so hard that it hits Jen or that it hits Gigi and Gigi just goes flying and she splats onto the ground and she was like completely fine she didn't have time to cry because John was like oh shit like we just hit our you know baby sister at full force and keep in mind she was probably like one years old at that time but yeah it was just like memories like that where we're just being kids and having fun like I mean that house was our childhood home so of course we're gonna have all those memories and I think that was the hardest part to let go of was all those memories that we've had with you know as a child and also with mom and dad okay so now with that in mind do you ever wonder what it's like now so yeah I mean I wonder what it's like now because immediately right after we sold the house it got bought and I don't know if the same owners are there but you know they changed like they probably changed everything because on the outside they changed quite a bit they removed I think that tree yeah or the, something a tree like or cherry something tree. yeah a cherry tree or something they moved they removed that and then they also removed the crappy like forest green door and mm -hmm. they removed like they changed the, they modernized it yeah much. they modernized it pretty much changed everything from the green like forest green palette to like a more maroon color and a glass door so like it definitely we don't know if they have kids or anything i'm assuming that they do yeah, because they have, the, the they have yeah they have the everest chalk thingy on their sidewalk so they have kids who go to everest which is the same school district that we used to go to and i don't know i just i mean it feels weird to know that someone else is making childhood memories mm -hmm. there you know and yeah. i mean yeah i'll say this like i always had like a a dream that when we would like go visit the old house i would see like mom and then she's just like living her life with a new family and i guess i kind of wish that that was like our family again and then when we drove by it uh earlier this month and seeing all the like the changes and stuff it's just like I got overflowed with like memories and it's like dang our memories of that house are being replaced by like another family's memories and it's like part of me feels grateful because we had that opportunity to make those mm -hmm. uh, memories but it's also sad at the same time because that was like the house that we grew up in yeah I mean totally I feel that and you know I feel like there is that level of guilt where we did leave mom there and it feels just kind of like on a spiritual level that we left her there to die alone there and now we moved on and we're not even bringing her with us and it just feels so lonely and so sad to see her just die there and be there alone because like john had that dream i always had that dream of her calling out to us and saying why'd you leave me you know like it feels very lonely here i don't want to be here for the rest of my life and all those things and like it was just so saddening to leave that behind to leave our childhood memories behind leave mom behind and just like having to start fresh like that was just I don't know it was definitely like a sad but bittersweet moment kind of where it was great that we were moving out and that we were having a fresh start because obviously we can't live there forever you know how else are we supposed to move on if every day we're reminded in the hallways that this is where mom died mm -hmm. you know and I think that's what dad really understood was we can't move on if this is the house that we're going to be living in where we're constantly reminded of that, you know, she died right here.
But I mean, what do you think? Like, what do you think would have happened if we had stayed there? And, you know, did you ever feel guilty about leaving mom there? Yeah, I mean, like, if we stayed there, like what you said, it would be just like us reliving that day over and over again. And it probably would drive me crazy, honestly. But yeah, like, even months, the months after she passed and we were still in that house, it just felt off because, like, she wasn't there, you know? It's like we're missing something, and it's like it's kind of like bad energy, I guess, like a bad aura around it. Mm -hmm. And then, as for if I've ever felt guilty, yeah, I mean, I always felt guilty, you know, that like I said in the intro video or intro episode, I also died when mom died. And it was like when we left that house, it was kind of leaving the old me and then like turning the page to a new me. And speaking of which, when you said the bad ore or anything, did you ever had nightmares after she died and we were still living in that house of her? Not not really. Like, I would have, like, I want to say bad nightmares because they weren't really nightmares. But, like, she, there was, like, callings, I guess you could say. But I never had, like, one that I vividly remember besides the, the one of her in the old house. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, did you? Yeah, I definitely... I think the first night I couldn't sleep at all and then also like it was just it got to the point where I couldn't sleep at all because I was waking up terrified thought I was hearing noises thought I was hearing mom groaning and like her being a monster and like just her turning into a monster and all those noises and just like her saying like you let you let us die you let me die you could have saved me like all those guilt tripping nightmares that were you know my subconscious saying hey like you still feel shitty about this you still feel guilty about this so and because you're sleep deprived you're going to be dreaming about all these things and i don't know like it, those nightmares didn't really stop even after we moved until a bit later now let's talk about the new house uh the new house we got on february 17th 2018 so like four months after mom passed mm-hmm. let's talk about the moving process i don't remember much about it it was just kind of tiring you know you had school and then you would come home and then just pack stuff and then move to the uh the new house yep yeah and it was repetitive and we didn't really fully move on or move out until probably until march and like yep. at that time we had a roach infestation and it was so severe and it was so disgusting and we had to let everything sit out in the cold so then all the roaches would die in into the garage and then then we could bring everything in and it, and i remember it just being a pain in the ass living with that and then i don't know it was it felt exciting because you know we were moving into this big old house or this big new house and you know, this is our fresh start, but I also felt a little bit, you know, kind of worried, kind of not about our half siblings moving in again, just because we had history and I didn't know necessarily know if they had forgiven dad for kicking them out and like, you know, but the fact that they were willing to even help us get this house and also help us with moving in and help us with Jen and everything and being willing to move back in to help during this tough time of losing our mom like that was I really appreciated that you know but yeah is there anything that you have to say about that situation about just moving in and about our half siblings 
uh, I'll say this for our half brothers when they moved in, it, it was like bittersweet kind of because like when I was young, I would always beg my dad or my mom to take me to my grandma's house because they, my brothers would live there, and they always had like game consoles and like mm-hmm. that stuff. So it was kind of like a double-edged sword, kind of, because I loved playing games with them. And then just, like, they would take me to our cousin's house, and we would hang out and play sports and that stuff, and it would be, like, a great time. But at the same time, it was, like, me sacrificing time away from um, my siblings and then mom and then dad as well. And it's, like, I don't really regret much in my life, but that's one thing I regret the most is not spending enough time with her because like if I think had I known that that time was like that limited, I probably would have spent more time with her. Yeah, I mean, I definitely felt the exact same thing because that was one of the biggest reasons why mom was also really depressed and angry with me was because, you know, she kept saying things like, oh, they don't even love you more than I do. Like, you know. And how, like, why would you want to spend time with them instead of us? Like, where are your family? Like, I'm your mom and all those things. And, you know, we would always choose grandma and grandma and our half-brothers and to get away from that because I was so tired of just the toxic environment and just the fighting that I wanted to get away from that every weekend. And so we would either beg mom and dad to take us there or we'll, you know, call our half-brothers to tell them to pick us up. And that was a really big part of our childhood. I mean, we went there almost every single weekend. Almost every, yeah, almost yeah. every single weekend. I went there, like, the whole summer. Yep. And that, like, I wish I didn't at the time. Yeah. Or looking back on it now. Yeah, I mean, that's not to say that we regret spending time with our half-brothers right. either. But, but it's just, like, you got to find that healthy balance yep. of creating memories of our half-brothers and then creating memories of mom. Yep, exactly. So with the move and everything, we also had just gone back to school in early to late December. And that was also a challenge, just, you know, going back to school and then also having to start moving and everything like that. But yeah, we're going to talk about how going back to school was for us because that was a big challenge considering that we were gone for almost a whole entire month from school and we missed out on a lot and, you know, obviously missing out on a lot and obviously not seeing our friends and seeing our teachers all those things but that was just one of the main things that we missed out on while we were grieving for our mother and having you know her funeral and whatnot but we're going to talk about what it was like going back to school so john what was it like going back to school for you so going back to school was super tough i mean we were out of school for like two months and only like a small handful of people knew why and it's like it was kind of annoying kind of people would always ask questions like where have you been or why were you gone for so long and stuff and it's like the the people that knew because my teachers told them and stuff like they would always say I'm sorry for your loss and stuff and then the people that didn't would just come ask and then it's like I don't want to talk about what happened because like mostly because I don't want like the their sympathy pretty much but is that like kind of bad wording i guess i don't know it's just like the i was like the center of attention and it's like me as a person i don't really care for that and it's like it just felt out of place for me so honestly like that that whole year i was just sick of it and just wanted like 
the whole year to be done with and move on. Yeah, I mean, I definitely felt the exact same way. I mean, a lot of people didn't know, but Mr. Heron, my chemistry teacher, did tell the class. And I remember everyone saying, yeah, he broke down crying when he heard about that. And he felt so sorry for us and how traumatic it was. And, you know, everyone would write us those cards. And it would just be like people who didn't care or people who did care because they were your best friends. And, you know, they knew about it because you either told them or they found out by the teachers and stuff. But it was just like you get half the people, if not 90% of the people who don't care and they just write, oh, I'm sorry for your loss on a card, thinking that like that will do something for us. And then, you know, or they'll pretend to say, oh, let, let us know if you have anything that, you know, that you need from us and we'll, you know, we'll be there for you and that kind of thing. And when, you know, they won't be. Yeah, it's like you're a different person, you know, yep. it's like you're getting treated differently than what you were before. Yep. And it's like, it's all fake, you yep. know. And then, like, I remember also, it was really, really hard to get back into some units and some classes, more specifically for gym, because before I left school, we were in the swimming unit, and everything was fine. I was trying to learn how to swim again, and then when I came back, it was, you know, them starting the CPR unit, and I didn't know if it was bad timing or if they decided, you know, they heard about our tragic story and they decided, you know, that was a really important thing that we need to learn. But it was really, really traumatizing having to learn how to perform CPR to somebody and go through all these scenarios of why someone would need CPR and what CPR does and how can it save people's lives and having to perform on a dummy. Like, it was so traumatizing and I couldn't do it. I remember breaking down crying. I was like, I can't do this because I always thought, like, you know, if I had known CPR, maybe I would have saved her earlier if I had woken up. And she had passed out, you know, something along those lines of just feeling like, had I known CPR, I could have been able to save her. But it's like, Mr. Beck knew CPR and he couldn't save her. Our other paramedic neighbor knew CPR and she couldn't save our mom, our mom either. So it's just, it was really hard for that unit and to just go through that again. And then also for English, before I left, we were, we were talking about some like book. Oh, we were talking about Scarlet Letter. And basically nothing related to my mom. But then when we got back, we were reading poems about death and just like analyzing and having to force like myself to have to analyze poems about death and having to write essays about death. And it was just so hard because I was just like, I don't want to keep freaking reliving this. I don't want to keep, you know, writing poems about death or even reading poems about death because I didn't want to be reminded. And I remember the teachers just, you know, thinking about that and saying like, oh, I'm so sorry, but like, if you need a break from this, like, feel free. But I was just like, it made me so angry. But at the same time, it's out of my control because they didn't know that my mom was going to die. I didn't know that my mom was going to die. So they couldn't really plan around that, you know, but it was still hard nonetheless. But with school set aside, you know, going back to home and having that new lifestyle, I mean, living with our half siblings did have some benefits other than the fact that they were helping us with, you know, bills and taking care of Jen. But what I really appreciate from them was when Toa and I were both taking care of Jen. And at that time I was working at Crick Trip, I would be working day shifts and he would be working third shifts. So I'll be taking care of Jen while he was sleeping. And then he would be taking care of Jen after he got home and we were going to school. And it was really nice because he would take us to school as well. So that helped a lot. And that was one of the main reasons why I was able to even raise Jen with the help of Toa and 
our half siblings and our grandma especially and I really appreciated that that because I felt like I couldn't take care of a five-month-old baby by myself and I felt like I was a teen mom and she wasn't even my child she was my sister so I was really grateful that I had that help when I really needed it most but I would say that a challenge would definitely be when we only shared a car at that time because Tua didn't have a car and so we would share my mom's old crappy Highlander and when that finally gave out Tua had borrowed my dad's truck and then eventually that became his truck until he could get a new car. But I would say it was just a matter of convenience for me because I only needed it when I needed to go work. And by then he would just drop me off and pick me up or just, you know, wanting to spend time with my friends but not being able to because my brother had the car. Like it was just minor conveniences. So like it didn't really affect me that much. But I mean, what about you, John? Like how did you feel about living with our half siblings? Um, It was all right, you know. It was like, you know, they were always there for me if I needed like to talk or something. And then like, Paul would always take me to our cousin's house, and we would just like have a good time, have a good night, you know, just play sports. And it was just like an escape from all the school stress and stuff. So that was good. And then um, yeah, it was just like they they were people that I could talk to with dad being distant and stuff. So with you bringing up about dad being distant, I definitely did feel that, and I felt like. You know, there are times would be we weren't sitting with our family again, eating dinner together or watching TV together because we used to do that. And that used to be one of my favorite childhood memories was us watching, you know, a sitcom together or watching The Bachelor and Bachelorette, like all as a family and, you know, having that bonding experience where we would eat dinner together or and then we'll go ahead and watch the news or watch TV shows all together. And with him being distant, it definitely felt like you're just so alone in this world and you didn't have the support from your father and from a parent, your remaining parent. And I remember there was a lot of days and nights where I would be sitting and eating food alone and no one was there and everyone's doing their own thing. And it just felt like we were just people living. We just felt like we were roommates. Yeah, like roommates, yep. And it didn't feel like a family anymore. And, you know, like... For example, I had a memory of, you know, my mom coming, us coming home and my mom would be cooking pho. And that was one of like my favorite dishes was pho. I remember asking her, you know, multiple times, like, can we have pho today? It was like a really rare occurrence that we would ever have pho. And, you know, just being able to sit there and eat there together and just enjoy that bowl of pho. And then now going to how everyone like, we, when everyone is preparing for our mom's funeral and everyone's coming every single day to our house and they're making pho every single day, it just didn't feel special anymore. Like the pho that they made didn't feel like mom's pho. And it was like just, it didn't feel like mom anymore. And then especially when, you know, you're eating food by yourself, it just felt so lonely and just so sad and like depressing. And it, and it just felt like you didn't have anybody. And with that, I think that really worsened my depression. I was just feeling so alone because no one was eating dinner together. No one was watching TV together. And we were just all, you know, eating by ourselves and doing our own thing. So this whole episode has been about us adapting to a new environment. Let me ask you this. How does one cope with new life changes? I would say that it definitely pays to be open-minded because if you're not going to fully accept 
the situation and move on from it because you're close-minded, mm-hmm. then you're more likely to be resistant towards growth and strength to get through whatever it is that you need to. But if you have an open mind and you're also grateful, which I think that's a really big thing is being open-minded and being grateful because if you can come up with at least one thing or two things or three things or whatever, how many things that you can come up with that you're grateful on a daily basis, you keep yourself grounded. So when it comes to, you know, saying like, I'm grateful that I I have a new house. I'm grateful that I have half siblings who are able to help me take care of Jen. You don't think about all the negatives that prevent you from growing and prevent you from moving on and overcoming any obstacle, whatever that new life change brings you, you know, I think it's also really important to talk to somebody about things and to keep an open communication with somebody about how you're feeling throughout, you know, that life changing moment and how it affects you and how you can get advice from them because it's always nice hearing from other people as well. And they might give you, you know, an outsider's perspective that you might need. That might be the answer to, you know, your problems or that per- that new perspective is something that's really eye-opening and you know life-changing as well like it's just being open-minded being grateful and also having that open communication with those around you who you love and who they love you and care for you as well but i mean those are just my personal coping mechanisms and also just things that i've learned to do in order to help me through any life-changing situations but what about you what do you do when something life-changing happens or not, or a big obstacle happens in your life. I mean, how do you cope with that? How do you move on from that? You know, for for me, the way I coped back then, and a little, I guess, not as much as now, but I used to just bottle everything in and just move on, right? And I feel like a lot of people do that, and like I know people that do that, and it's like you don't want to deal with it because it's just it's the past, and you can't change the past and stuff. So you gotta move on and be focused on the present. And that's why I never really, like, talked about it, about my mom's death with anyone, because I never really was, like, comfortable sharing it, and I didn't want, like, it to change the way people saw me or treated me, and, uh, but recently, I've been more open, um, I've talked to, to friends about, you know, just, like, managing stress and stuff and how I'm feeling, and, you know, it's, it definitely is it's definitely relaxing because it's like a, a weight being lifted off your chest and it's like I'm not as closed off as I once was and I realize that this is my life and I'm, this is my story. It's why I am the way I am and I can't change that. But now, I guess me, I, I like to focus in the present now because like, you know, if you speculate too much about the past or you, you know, you start replaying the what ifs of what what if I did this or what if I did this it's like if it messes your head right and it's like it's not healthy and yeah there there are times where I will definitely like sit in bed and just think dang maybe if I did this or like whatever but I just try to stay in the present and uh be grateful for the time I have because I think the one thing that mom's death really taught me was like your time is limited mm-hmm. and you gotta spend every second of your time with the people you want to and how you want right yeah and you gotta you gotta cherish every single moment because you know those moments they're not gonna last forever mm-hmm. but
but yeah, that's kind of how my mindset is now. Yeah, I mean, going back to what you said, how you can't change the past, it's very much that saying of you can't control what happens to you, but you can you can control how you deal with it, how you mm -hmm. react to it. And if you choose to react to it negatively, you're obviously never going to persevere and also grow and move on. You're never going to overcome that obstacle and that life-changing moment, no matter what kind of moment it is or what kind of life-changing thing that happened to you. You're never going to overcome that if you choose to react to it negative, negatively. And it's just being able to be open-minded about, okay, this is my new future. This is my new present. How, I'm gonna go, how am I going to live my life to the fullest with this new change? How am I going to be happy with this new change? Like just realizing that not everything is forever and that, you know, your time here is very limited. So you should spend that time being happier, being healthier, being just better and being able to grow and move on instead of being in the past and being, you know, hateful, resentful of all the things that has gone wrong in your life and how this is just another one of them, you know, like I think for us earlier when we were, you know, going through those stages of, you know, grief, like with being angry and being in denial, like, yeah, that held us back from moving forward because for us, we were still processing her death. So yes, of course, we're going to be angry. Of course, we're going to be in denial, but that didn't help us move on until we finally said, Hey, like, okay, this is what happened to us. We have to accept this. How are we going to move on from this? How are we going to, you know, grow from this? How are we going to be happy after today? Like those things come with time and with a positive and open mindset and also a grateful mindset. You know, like you said, we are only here for a limited time. So make the most of it, you know? Yeah, I think a lot of people like, and myself included, like I, I think people overthink too much about, you know, the, um, about what ifs and stuff. And it's like, you know, you could think about like the, um, this is what I tell people all the time. It's just like, if you st keep thinking, you're never going to do it, yep. you know? And like, this is not me saying like, you should do everything that your mind um, wanders upon, but it's just like, you know, don't, don't wait to, to say you love somebody or like to reach out, you know, don't wait because the longer you wait, trust it. Like I wish I said stuff to mom. Yeah. I wish I checked up on her. Like, and that will always haunt me. But you know, d don't wait. Don't wait. Yep. Because it's like you learn from that mistake, and now you're not waiting anymore to say that to people yeah. who you love, say that to people who you care about, to check up on them, to say, hey, you know what, I appreciate you. Hey, you know what, you know, I I love you, and like, it's just realizing that you can't control what happens in the past but you can control what happens in your present and your future right you know and like in that terms of you can control what you can do and obviously people always overthink about they think they overthink about all the things that they can't control yeah and then that makes them spiral because now they're out of control now they feel like they're out of control and now they feel like they have no control and just all those things but it's like realize that there's a lot of things in life that you do have control over and once you realize that, then have control over it, you know, then do something about it, you know, just break it down and say, okay, I have this problem and I want this solution. Okay, here are the steps that I'm going to get to that solution. Like, think logically about that instead of, you know, irrationally and, and emotionally where it's just your emotions are getting clouded and you're clouding your judgment. 
and you know you're thinking negatively or you're thinking just anything that prevents you from growing and from persevering and overcoming any obstacle that life has brought you you know yeah and there's always like every i'll go back to this um my my mindset is that there's there's never a losing situation or a learn a losing experience there's no like failure like every every experience no matter how bad it is like mom's death you know there's always a learning process mm-hmm. and you can always take something and apply it to your life now yeah so i think i guess there's never really a bad situation as long as you learn from it yeah yeah no i totally agree and, and it comes down to that mind over matter you know mm-hmm. kind of thing that this is really all just about your mentality your whole entire life how you live your life all comes down to your mentality and how you view life how you go about life and if you take care of your mind and if you take care of how you think and you think more rationally you think you know more positively and with an open more mind and a grateful mind then you're obviously going to be more successful you're going to go further in life you're going to be happier in life and a lot healthier in life as well you know right and, you you are the author of your own story yep like you have the pen you have the paper you know you got to write it yep exactly and you can't decide how things happen sometimes and you know you can't decide what god has in store for you but you can decide how you come out of it you know yep so with that said that's gonna bring today's episode to an end um thank you guys for listening in episode four we'll be talking about the five stages of grief and how we dealt with that yep Um, so starting with denial and then anger yep we're gonna be talking about what that was like for us and how we cope with it how do you, you know, come to terms with something like death? And also, how do you cope with anger or situations and how to de-escalate situations? Right. Uh, make sure to like, comment, subscribe. Share. Share. You know, share. And uh, remember, count your blessings, not your problems, baby. Let's go.